Uh, we take our text on Sunday morning from our upcoming Wednesday night study. So why don't you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah 41. A freshman at Eagle Rock Junior High um, won a first prize at the Greater Idaho Falls Science Fair back a decade or so ago. Um, his project urged people to sign a petition demanding strict control uh, or total elimination of the chemical dehydrogen monoxide. Um, and for plenty of good reasons, and he, he made his case, and he gave many really profound points on why we should, you know, um, illegalize, you know, uh, dehydrogen monoxide. Dehydrogen monoxide is a third leading cause of unintentional in injury death worldwide, according, uh, accounting for 7% of all injury-related deaths. Um, it can cause excessive sweating, vomiting. It's a major component in acid rain. It can cause severe burns in its gaseous state. Um, accidental inhalation can kill you. Um, it's been found in tumors uh, in terminal cancer patients. There's an estimated uh, 320,000 annual uh, dehydrogen monoxide deaths worldwide. 320,000 per year. So he asked his, uh, the group he was presenting to, which was 50 people, if they supported the ban on the chemical. 43 said yes, they were willing to sign a position. Six were undecided. And only one knew that the chemical dehydrogen monoxide was actually H2O. <laughs> it, was, it was water. Uh, everything that he said was factual about the 320,000 deaths uh, from dehydrogen monoxide. That, that would be drownings each year. Um, and it's in all the things, tumors, you'll find H2O and acid rain, H2O, and the major component, all, everything that he said was true. You know, he was attempting to show um, basically um, the, the, you know, we're conditioned. We've become more and more conditioned to an alarmist sort of, uh, you know, group of people practicing what I would call junk science, uh, you know, spreading fear, uh, in, in our environment and in our people and talking about this and that. And I, I really do think it's interesting because even the Bible predicts this. It says that in the last days there'd be those that would run around, you know, claiming science, but falsely so-called, falsely so-called. Um, and it's, a, it's an interesting thing that we're watching in our days. And, you know, uh, just on the way, <coughs> you know, to church this morning, I was listening to the radio news and they were updating on organ coronavirus stuff, and they were, I just, I was just shocked to kind of hear how um, the chiefest, most dangerous, uh, the Oregon, you know, officials said the, the dangerous situation is, um, you know, small gatherings, church gatherings, events, um, and, uh, and, you know, home social gatherings, that's what's causing, and, and then they made this, but the protesting has not uh, really registered as a problem, uh, and they made a real point to say that. And I thought, wow, thousands of people. I don't know if you've watched the footage downtown Portland, but people arm in arm, you know, uh, yelling, you know, and, and here they're telling, don't sing in church, but they're yelling out, you know, uh, all their the stuff. And, and it's, just, it's just kind of, you know, these, these so-called health officials, science falsely so-called, there's no way uh, that the yelling and protesting is, the, is, is not gonna uh, be uh, a problem if, church going or going to an NBA basketball game or, you know, any of that stuff. It's just kind of a, a double standard that we're seeing. And, and uh, you know, the, the, the problem with all this, the science, falsely so-called, is it brings about uh, an uncertainty and even a fear and anxiety. I see people sort of getting up in a tizzy and panicking and being upset about things. And, you know, I think, first of all, as Christians, one of the things we should not do is panic or, um, you know, you know, there's, th there's, there's a time to be angry, but there's also a time to be patient. And one of the things that the Lord has called us to do is to wait upon the Lord, you know, to chill out, wait upon the Lord. And that's one of the things we're doing. You know, we, we get all up in the tizzy. It's been four months, you know, five months, going on five months, and people get really upset. And, but we need to continue just to say, Lord, we want your will, your way, your purpose. And, and who knows, there's gonna be, you know, a future and a time for everything. 
uh, but the Lord, the Lord knows. And the thing is about this, I, I, I feel that there's so many people that are full of fear. Fear has been the thing that drives. If you watch the news headlines, you know, if some of you guys are news junkies and it's, it's interesting to watch, you know, Drudge, the Drudge Report, how it's changed its kind of thing in the past year or two. But man, it's all about fear mongering. If you look at all the headlines on Drudge right now, it's like, you know, this, you know, if you, if you get the coronavirus, you're gonna have hallucinations and people are, you know, seeing ghosts and ghouls and goblins and, you're, and you definitely don't wanna get corona toes. And corona toes is where you get these huge sores on your feet and uh, all this stuff. It's just kind of, uh, if you look at it, I, it, it definitely feels like somebody's trying to freak someone out. Uh, the news is not uh, to comfort or to call us to, you know, great, you know, loyal citizenry. Uh, it's just, it's really a lot of the news I'm seeing is just totally to cause fear. Um, and uh, I think that's what the enemy wants to do. As Christians, we're not to be given over to that spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. I hope that's what marks the church of Jesus Christ in these days. Power, love, and a sound mind. That's the goal. That's what I hope Athe Creekers are doing. I hope they're not running around, oh, what are we gonna do? Hey, you guys need to do this, and you guys need to do that. Ah, no, we don't want that. We want Athe Creekers to be filled with power and love and a sound mind. That's the whole deal right there. Uh, maybe you, I've seen a lot of not sound mind uh, in people. I've seen a lot of uh, kind of Looney Tune stuff, honestly, even, even from some of our precious Athe Creekers, uh, I gotta add. And I, I hope that we're, we're careful on this one. Now, the reason I get into this is because this idea of fear and what everybody's doing, you know, I think that what's amazing is Isaiah, the passage we've been in for the past four months, has been perfect for the days that we're living. Where we're at in the Bibles, where we're at in life, I've said it a million times, but it's so true. And the people of Isaiah's time under siege in lockdown in Jerusalem with uh, an enemy oppressor. And like, I could go on and on at the parallels of the people of Isaiah's time and Hezekiah the king uh, with our day. So some of the admonitions have applied perfectly, but also some of the comforts that we're about to read and the blessings. Remember how we started, you know, chapter 40 last week, comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith the Lord. Uh, I think these comforts are gonna be very appropriate for, uh, for us today. And especially if you're one who's kind of riddled with anxiety or fear or because of the uncertainty of what's going on, man, we have something here that's gonna really encourage us, I think. Um, you know, having right perspective, it reminds me of a story one summer night during a severe thunderstorm, a, a little you know, boy was being tucked in by his loving mother um, and she was about to turn the light off when, when he asked in a little trembling voice, he said, mommy, will you stay with me tonight? As the thunder was you know, rolling outside and smiling, the mother gave him a warm hug and a kiss and reassured him you know, that she loved him. She said, I can't, dear. She said, you know, um, I have to sleep in daddy's room tonight. Uh, and a long silence followed. The little boy was there under his blankets. And at last the silence was broken by a shaky little voice that said, the big sissy. <laughs> talking about his dad, um, uh, not understanding the whole thing. But all that to say, I think some of us are quivering in our tennies, wondering what's going on in the world. And, and I think the Lord wants us to be encouraged today. And so um, we need to take a look at our text. Let's take a look. Um, we have the, the scripture, Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. And uh, this is the single verse we're gonna look at today. We'll look at the whole chapter Wednesday night. And there we read in Isaiah, uh, 41.10. Um, this is worth memorization, by the way. Uh, it says in Isaiah 41.10, it says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee in the right hand of my righteousness. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Man, I love what the scriptures are telling us here in Isaiah 41, 10. Um, mark it in your Bible, memorize it, because this is a word that when you find yourself being gripped with some fear or anxiety, man, there's power in the word of God. And I believe we can speak out a verse like this to remind ourselves, to encourage ourselves in the Lord as we get through difficult days. And I'd like to just take a moment to sort of break this little verse down and kind of savor each little moment of this verse because there's so much to this. And really, honestly, we don't even do great full service to this verse because 
Um, it, you could meditate on a verse like this for a long, long time. But why should we fear not? Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Why should we? Uh, what's, what's the Lord give us here? Well, there's, there's a bunch of things that the Lord gives us in this single little verse. And if you're taking notes, number one, we get out of this divine presence. Um, divine presence. How do we become a people that are not afraid? Um, by recognizing that, that he's given us his divine presence. He says in our verse, for I am with thee. Man, fear thou not, for I am with thee. You know, Matthew, the gospel of Matthew 28, verse 20, it says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world, no matter how far out you are. I am with you always. I, I, I love the story of the guy that was going on a business trip and his boss said, why do you always want to take trains instead of planes? And the guy said, well, I, I'm afraid of flying. He said, but I thought I heard you're one of them Christians. Don't you have faith and trust in your God? And the guy says, yeah, but in Matthew uh, 28, 20, it says, lo, I am with you always. <laughs> Not high, get it? Yeah, low, high. Anyway, all that to say, uh, this guy, uh, we, we have those same fears, but the Lord, when he says low, he says, look, it, the, the, the word low, kind of, it's like, behold, take a look at this. I'm with you always, even to the ends of the world. Um, uh, some of us have been getting into that, um, that new show uh, called Alone. And it's where they take 10, 10 guys and they drop them off out in the middle of nowhere in Vancouver Island where there's more cougars and bears and wolves. And they, they just can, with like, they can carry like 10 tools, a hatchet and a sleeping bag and you know, just your basics. And they, they go out there to survive as long as they possibly can. And uh, one of the things that's amazing to me is there, there's these tough, seasoned, you know, survivor type people. And, you know, like Survivor, the show, is like a country club compared to what these guys are dealing with. These guys are, these guys are the real deal. Like, uh, live off the land, eat slugs and snails and, you know. But it, it's amazing. Most of them are very proficient in lighting fires and the wet, wet rainforests and all that. And even fending off cougars and, and bears and stuff. Like, it's, it's amazing. But the thing that I'm noticing is probably the most uh, challenging for them, especially the, the best of them, is being alone. Um, that's why they called the series Alone. Uh, it's the psychology behind it that's freaking them out. And they'll tap out of the woods because they can't be alone anymore. And it's, it's really something to watch. And it, it really is a, an interesting thing because when a person feels isolated and alone and sort of uh, on their own, man, that's when your mind starts messing with you. And that's when you start talking to yourself in a way that's probably not so healthy. And you can see it in human nature. And, and the Lord, he wants to remind us that when we're alone, we're not really alone. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. That's what he says. Hebrews uh, thirteen five. you guys know that scripture. It says, you know, I will never leave thee or forsake thee. Um, I love that the Lord promises that he's with us, even to the end of the world. Now, linked to this being alone and the fear uh, of that, we can remind ourselves that we have divine presence, that God is with us. He never leaves us. But it, it, there's, a, there's a word that's attached to this that I think is important for us to sort of uh, pause and take note of. It says, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. Um, this presence of God, it should change the look on our face when we realize that God is with us. What do you mean the change of the look on the face? Well, this is where this word dismayed, it's a word we don't use very often. I haven't used that word maybe ever. Oh, I feel dismayed right now. Or he looks dismayed. I'm not sure I use that word. It's an older word, um, but it's a good word. The, the Hebrew word for dismayed is shatah. Uh, and it means, if you look it up in the Hebrew dictionary, it means to gaze at, to regard, to behold, to look about. But here's where it gets kind of more specific, to gaze about in anxiety. And anxiety linked to um, what you're looking at. Uh, that's, that's the word dismayed. Uh, um, um, I, I like, by the way, the King James Bible. Uh, and some of you go, yeah, I wish we'd, wish you'd use a newer translation. Um, but I love all the other translations that are legit. You know, there's, there are some goofy translations, of course, but um, all the, there's a lot of great 
translations out there, but the reason I stick with the King James is many reasons, but one, I love the poetic feel and value, uh, the reverence that it sort of asks for, but I also like that it slows me down and I have to go, dismayed? What's dismayed? What? Like I have to stop and then it makes me think, I wonder what the original Hebrew word in the, in the original Old Testament is. And so it makes me look it up and start doing some study and I love that. But this word dismayed is one of those words, you know? And, uh, and so when you look at what shatah means, to look about with anxiety, man, I see a lot of people's facial expressions as they watch the news and they see kind of the stupid stuff that's on there. And they're just like, like what does dismayed look like? Um, I'll tell you a story uh, that reminds me of that look. Um, I was at a job site with my dad when I was a young you know, high school kid, somewhere probably in 1981 or two. And um, I remember at lunch, we, we got a half hour for lunch, so we all went over uh, under this tree and kind of were just chomping down our sandwiches. And, um, and this guy comes driving up, one of the friends of a guy that was working with us, and he drives up in this brand spanking new Corvette. But he, he uh, got this total custom paint job done on this Corvette. And I'd never seen it since then, uh, a paint job that was so impressive. It, was, it looked like it was, this, it was pearlescent white with this thick layer of clear. It just looked like it was three inches thick. It was just kind of amazing. And you could still smell like the paint because it was, it was like still, it was that fresh in a way. And we were like, wow, this guy drives up and everybody kind of gathers around there oogling and awing over this paint job. But as we were standing there just kind of marveling, all of a sudden, the pine tree that we were under, a big tall pine tree, this, this, this pine cone fell from the very top of the tree and also doink, right in the middle of the hood of this Corvette. And we couldn't believe our eyes. Not only did it take a big chunk out of the new paint, but it dented the hood. It, was this, it, it wasn't a light pine cone. It was, you know those pine cones that haven't like got dry yet? It's, it weighs like five pounds. Yeah, it totally put a huge dent in the, and we all were stunned. We looked at the, the, this car, but then I looked at the owner of the car who was proudly showing us, hey, yeah, that's my Corvette. I looked at him and he had the look of dismay. <laughs> that, that's, that's a good, there he was looking at his head. That's dismay right there. And, and that's the way I feel like much of our society is we, we look at what's going on and we just can't believe our eyes and we see him and we go, this is trouble. As we watch the marchers, even last night in Portland and, and the, the people that are looting and pounding in the doors of the federal buildings and the National Guard, you know, shooting tear gas and like, it, we, we, we're dismayed. We can't believe our eyes with what's going on in our own city. Our own city, Portland, is this international uh, news as people are watching the war zone of Portland, Oregon. That's where we live. And so a lot of people are looking at this with dismay. So this is so appropriate, this scripture, fear thou not, for I am with thee, the Lord would say, and be not dismayed. Man, this is what the Lord is telling you and me to do is don't be dismayed. Um, that's exactly what a lot of people are doing, dismay, look with anxiety. Man, I'm so thankful that we can know that the Lord is with us. We, we don't just say, I'm gonna be tough and, and change the way my face looks based on my strength or anything like that. No, we're, we're looking with a look of confidence because of number one, divine presence. That's number one. Number two, divine power. We see that given to us right here in our text. Let's take a look. So it says, fear thou not for I am with thee. Um, be, thou, be not dismayed for I am thy God. And then he says, for I will strengthen thee, strengthen thee. Do you feel weak? You know, it's interesting because um, people are feeling weaker. And what's interesting is the strong are feeling weaker. You know, who do we think are the strong in our culture? Well, usually it's not the elderly. The older we get, the weaker we feel. But usually the strong belongs to the young. But I've noticed that are, you know, millennials and even youngers, Gen Z, there's a, there's a weakness and, and, a, and, a, and a faint-heartedness uh, that I sense. And, and it's not just the sense that I have, but statistically, you know, suicide is on the rise, depression and anxiety is, is uh, you know, totally hassling our young people. Um, books are being written by young people about how they're dealing with depression all the time. It's, there's more depression books out there now than ever. Um, it's interesting. It's almost like every pastor I know has written a book about depression because they, they see that it's a huge problem uh, in our culture and, and it's real, especially with young people. 
And you know, it's interesting, Isaiah's time had the same problem, same exact problem as us. And they, the young people need to be strengthened, but you don't do that by living out your dreams. You don't do that by beefing up your social media. You don't do that by traveling and, and posting all your pictures. That's not the way you get strengthened. Oh, you might be blessed by some of that, might be cursed by it too, but divine power is what you need. Um, do you remember what we learned last week? Flip the page back a page in your Bible to chapter uh, 40. And remember the last, um, the last part of that? Verse 29, Isaiah 40, 29 says, he, the Lord, gives power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increases strength. Listen, verse 30, even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint. Remember that? Even the youths faint. Um, they need divine power. Don't find, a, don't try to, you know, the, the, the dumb books. Uh, I remember all the self-help books that have come and gone over this, awakening the giant within. And once you look inside your life and soul, you realize you actually have a little pipsqueak in there. <laughs> There's no giant inside there. And you're gonna be disappointed in your own strength and power. You need divine power. And they that wait upon, not me, the pastor or your friends or your, your psychology uh, you know, uh, degree or whatever you've got, don't lean on that stuff. You need to lean on the Lord, the divine power. Um, people are always looking for that strength in so many other things, but here it says, man, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be dismayed for he is your God. But then he says, but I will strengthen you. That's what the Lord wants to do for you. He wants to give you strength. If you're weak, ask for strength. Don't just kind of say, well, I'm feeling weak. And so what do I need to do, read a book? Well, if it's the Bible, that's a step in the right direction. Uh, a lot of other books have tried to help you with strength, but I'm telling you, you need more than just, you know, your own strength or awakening the giant within with actually a pipsqueak. What you need is to remember that the Lord is your strength. Now, by the way, this is something I pray for daily, not only for myself personally, but I pray for our church corporately that the Lord would give us power. And the word power, speaking of original language, I love the word power in Acts, uh, you know, chapter one and chapter two, when we're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit, the word power in the Greek text there talking about the Holy Spirit is the Greek word dunamis. And that's a great word because the word dunamis is where we get our word dynamite. That's powerful. Uh, if you've ever, you know, seen a stick of dynamite go, uh, you know that's power. So the Lord says, man, I will give you my Holy Spirit and you will get, be given power. Boom. I love that idea. I need power. You need power. And so what we can do is say, Lord, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit and empower me? You know, when Samson in the Old Testament did the great feats of strength, it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson and then he, you know, ripped the lion in half or beat up the Philistines or carried the gates, you know, 30 miles up a hill. Um, like all this stuff that every time he did it, but do you remember what happened when he got his eyes poked out, his hair cut, and he lost that divine power? It says that he did not know that the spirit of the Lord had departed from him. That's where the power is, it's the Lord. The Lord says, I will strengthen you. And that's what the Lord wants to do. Do you remember difficult times in your life when you received such special strength that you sh kind of shocked yourself? Have you, ever, have you ever had that? Where you were in a difficult thing, and you're like, wow, I can't believe I said that. That was actually pretty good. But you somehow sensed that it didn't come from your brain. Um, boy, this is what I think people need to uh, recognize is the Lord wants to empower you to do stuff that's way past your skill set. You know, in the midst of danger, suddenly you're calm. That's the Holy Spirit. Um, under bereavement of grief, and yet you were comforted, even though it didn't make sense that you should be comforted. Um, somebody slanders against you, and yet you're self-controlled, and you don't lash back, but your knee-jerk, your natural person would let them have it, but you didn't. That's the Holy Spirit. Um, with sickness and anxiety, the Lord brings about patience and calm. That's the Holy Spirit. And you'll see, the Holy Spirit comes upon people. Cowards play the hero. Foolish ones have wisdom given to them. And the silent receive in that moment what they shall speak when they don't know what to say. That, 
That's what the Holy Spirit does. Oh, sad is the person who never senses the power of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. <clears throat> what we need is divine power. <clears throat> you say, Brett, how do we get that power? You fathers are being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Father which is in heaven give the Holy Ghost to them that what? Ask. <clears throat> if you said ask, you were, you were correct. If you ask, it'll be given to you. And so to pray, Lord, would you fill me with your spirit that you give me that divine power that you're talking about in Isaiah 41.10. I will strengthen you. It's a supernatural thing. It's one of the miraculous things. Um, I, as a, I, I think as a Bible teacher, I, I get to see this um, more than if I were not a Bible teacher. Let's just put it that way. Um, there's times when I'm teaching sermons, and those of you, some of you, I know you guys out there, some of you are watching all the services. <laughs> that cracks me up. I, I, I get tired of hearing myself talk. Um, I can't imagine somebody watching. But I know some of you watch all four of our services on the weekend, and uh, some people are like, we're just making sure you're really doing it live, which we are. Um, and, uh, but the sermons change uh, between services. Uh, sometimes I'll talk about something, sometimes I won't. But here's the thing that's kind of fun about being a pastor is, um, you know, when you talk about something that the Lord just kind of stirs your heart in the mid middle of a, the discussion, you might just think, wow, that's just Brett coming up with weirdo ideas and getting off track and rabbit trails and all that. Um, but I've learned over the years that those are oftentimes the Lord stirring my heart to talk about something that I have no idea what's going on out there. Um, I've had, you know, I've told you some of the stories where people have called me up after the service. Okay, who told you? You spoke exactly about our situation. You even used the right, like people like marvel at some of the things that, and, and I, you know, I have to say, nobody called me. I was just, just talking about the scriptures and the spirit kind of led me to talk about that. Um, there's been some almost scary exacting things that I've talked about. Um, and I think that's kind of, kind of cool. Um, and and what, what also happens is um, when people are out just talking to their friends, sometimes the Lord will stir up a word for you to give somebody and, you, and it's a word of real wisdom. And man, that's one of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit wants to empower you, um, whether it's a word of knowledge or a word of prophecy. Um, man, this is so important um, to be open to the power of the Spirit in your life. People ask me, Brett, are you guys Baptists or are you Pentecostals or Charismatics? What are you guys? Well, the truth is um, I, I, we're not a denomination. We're non-denominational largely because we feel like that causes more divisions and walls. Um, what we do is, and we're not trying to be sanctimonious in this, uh, but we really do say we, we, we're of the denomination of the Bible. We're, we're really trying our hardest to follow what the Bible says. And I hope every church does that. And there's great denominations that do that. But they say, Brett, what are you, Charismaniacs? Or are you Baptists? Which ones are you? And um, I would say we're charismatics with a safety belt. And the safety belt is the word. So we don't slay people in the spirit. We don't have people jump up when people are in the building and speak in tongues out of order because none of that is biblical. Um, you have to be really careful to do that, which is in the Bible. But a lot of our Baptist brothers and sisters, man, they, they kind of say, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit, that's no longer for today. You know, they're cessationists. They're like, um, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit doesn't move like that anymore. And oh, how poor are we if we minus the power of the Holy Spirit out of the church? So speaking in tongues, all that stuff, yes, the Bible does talk about that, but there's very strict rules around that. And, um, and so all that to say, um, one of the great things of being a pastor is I get to use the, the, the ministry of the word of prophecy. And you can do this too, by the way. You don't have to be a prophet. The prophets were of the Old Testament. Um, by the way, I've been asked by this because I've mentioned this a couple times and, and I've noticed over social media um, that people kind of say, what, there's no more prophets? And it's because a lot of you come from churches or ministries that kind of talk about how... Um, um, you know, well, I have a prophet who came through town or he came through our church. Here's the confusion. Do people give a word of prophecy today? Yes. But prophecy in the New Testament shifted gears. It's not like a prophet of the Old Testament. And that's why Jesus said this in Luke 16, 16, it says, the law and the prophets were until John, that's John the Baptist. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presses into it. In other words, um, 
you know, this idea of the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, the last one was John, Luke 16, 16. There's other passages that talk about this. Well, yeah, but Brett, there's the ministry of prophecy and Paul talks about prophets. Um, that's the, the New Testament pouring out of the spirit in his church, giving a word of prophecy. Now, what does a word of prophecy look like? Is it, thus saith the Lord, uh, Portland shall have riots for the next 30 days. Well, that'd be a good bet. Um, but you could try to predict the future. That's kind of what the Old Testament prophets did. That's not what the New Testament prophets do. The New Testament prophets are not foretelling, or, you know, foretelling the future or anything like that. They're, they're actually giving three words. Um, read 1 Corinthians 14. It says a word of prophecy, New Testament church, is a word of edification, exhortation, or comfort. And then it talks about tongues and what tongues is all about. And then the rest of 1 Corinthians 14 talks about how to do that decently and in order. Um, so it's very clear. The Bible's very clear on what prophecy is in the New Testament. And uh, you know, everyone who's filled with the Holy Spirit, that could be you, could give a word of prophecy, edification, comfort, exhortation. Um, that's awesome. And people should move in that role. But I wouldn't walk around saying, I am a prophet of the Lord. Um, because that's kind of Old Testament vibe. And um, the Lord says, the last one of those guys was Jay the B. Uh, are you guys with me on that? Um, I, I should probably do a full on teaching on that at some point because I, I sense confusion uh, out there on that one. And, and it's because there's guys that walk around saying, I'm a prophet and uh, they profit from that being a prophet. Be that as it may, um, the idea of divine power, it's the Holy Spirit moving in his church, how desperately we need that. If we're gonna, you know, uh, embrace this, this whole thing of the Holy Spirit moving in his church, um, and then, then we'll find that that fear flees. One of the things the Holy Spirit does is brings comfort and strength to his church. If you're not filled with the Spirit, pray, Lord, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? If you wanna have it, ask for it. It's just that simple. Um, don't you love that? Um, so, so we've got this word of encouragement thus far. And, um, and I, I just love that we can be encouraged. So the first thing, fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Um, by the way, don't forget who it is that strengthens you. He says, I will be your God. He's your God. And your God will strengthen you. Don't forget that. It's not like you're being strengthened by a pal or you know, somebody who's you know, strong. We're talking about cataclysmically strong. Um, it, you know, I was reading Spurgeon on this, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, that great preacher from London back in the mid 1800s. And he spoke about Isaiah 41.10 and the strength of God. Check this out. And, and you gotta kind of go through the old English in this, but it's, it's powerful. And it, it goes like this. Spurgeon said, God has a strong reserve with which to discharge this engagement for he is able to do all things. Believer, till thou canst drain dry the ocean of omnipotence, till thou canst break into pieces the towering mountains of almighty strength, thou never needest to fear. Think not that the strength of man shall ever be able to overcome the power of God. Whilst the earth's huge pillars stand, <clears throat> thou hast enough reason to abide firm in thy faith. <clears throat> the same God who directs the earth in its orbit who feeds the burning furnace of the sun and trims the lamps of heaven has promised to supply thee with daily strength. Man, don't you love that? <clears throat> I mean, that's, some, that's what I like about Spurgeon as he takes and paints this colorful picture and you just think, wow, the God who fuels the furnace of the sun, who can weigh the mountains like we read about last week um, in, in, and hold the, the cosmos in his hands, we think, man, that's, that's strength. And the Lord says, I'll be your strength. Hello, I'll strengthen you. The one who's got some strength to spare. That's, that's the way, um, you know, the, the, the Lord is enough reason to abide firm in thy faith because of the, the same God who directs the earth in its orbit, who feeds the burning furnace of the sun. That's the God we serve. So divine uh, power, what a joy, what a blessing. And that brings us to number three on our list, divine Protect, uh, partnership, partnership. Now here it is, partnership. We see that. You say, Brett, that sounds like a word that's current and warm and fuzzy and a little weird. We're just gonna partner. I've heard that word. And usually people that talk like that, uh, I, I tend to realize, uh, 
you know, that, you better be careful sometimes. But there's a divine partnership that's totally legit. Did you know a partnership requires two people to do kind of equal amount of work or at least a, 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 a fraction of work? <clears throat> the divine partnership is mentioned sort of here in, in sort of this little phrase where it says, I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. The Lord will help you. Isn't that amazing? Um, I, I'm always marveling at how the Lord helps us. Um, and especially how we don't, especially when we don't acknowledge that it's all him anyway. You know, people say, I'm a self-made man. And I always say, what part of you did you make? Did you make your lungs? No, the Lord did that. Well, that's some pretty good help making your lungs and your legs and your brain. Uh, the Lord did that. It's divine partnership where he helps you uh, walk and breathe and your heart beat. You didn't do that. Uh, God did that part. Uh, the, the partnership of God is almost laughable. It reminds me of like, you know, when you're a father and you're training your son to do things. I remember um, like when Joey was a little guy, you know, um, and I got him to start learning how to mow the lawn. And, um, you know, we had the, the, the snapper mower with the little bar kind of halfway down. And so I got Joey and he'd grab that bar and I'd be up on the top and we'd slowly mow the lawn. And it took me like 10 times longer to mow the lawn with Joey helping me. But it was really fun, you know, it was, it was fun for me as a dad to have my son and teach him how to, you know, check the oil in the mower and how to, you know, mow in a certain pattern and not miss sections. And, and you know, what's funny is in my partnership with my son and teaching him to mow, eventually he got old enough to start kind of doing the mowing himself. Oh, glorious were those days when Joey got to that age where he was mowing the lawn and I didn't have to do it anymore until he grew up and moved out of the house and now I'm back to mowing. <laughs> but, but you know what? That's a win. All that's a win. Why? Because my son, I, we partnered. I, I, you know, he would come out and help me. And the word help is funny because when he was, you know, six or seven years old, it wasn't a lot of help. I liken that to us. Here we are trudging through this life thinking we're doing all this stuff, but really it's the Lord who says, I want to help you. And it's help like the father was helping the son mow the lawn. Um, that's the kind of help God gives us. Massive help. And without him, how much can we do? Nothing. We can do nothing apart from him or without him. And so this idea of the Lord helping us, oh, thank the Lord. The Lord wants to help. I will help you. Um, there's some scriptures that talk about his help. Um, one of the things I love about the Lord is help. his help is timely. Just when you think you're falling off the ledge, the Lord will come and rescue and help you when you need it the most. And, and sometimes for whatever reason, he'll wait and it'll take a long time. Um, this to help that's timely, I read about that in Psalm 46, one, where it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He's present. So that was our first point, God's presence, divine presence. He's with you, but he comes when you need it the most and when you need help. That's what Psalm 46, one says. But not only is his help timely, but his help is powerful like we talked about at the previous point. Psalm 121 speaks of the help God gives and the power that's there. It's Psalm 121 verse 1 through 3. It says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord, the psalmist continues, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. I love that the Lord helps us. You know, one of the greatest helps we could talk about is the salvation that he gives. He helps you get to heaven. Did you know that? Um, now, some of you say, man, thank the Lord for that help because with just by ourselves, is there any way we could get to heaven? Without his help, no. It's impossible to get to heaven apart from the Lord. It'd be like if, you know, Elon Musk, who I guess I just read last week, he's like the fifth richest guy in the world now. And he comes and he says, I will meet all you Athey Creekers and anybody who wants to show up to the Cannon Beach and we're gonna have a little contest. Whoever wins this contest, I'm gonna write a check for a billion dollars. Um, he made that in one day, I think, uh, last week. Two billion dollars in one day, um, according to the news. So Elon shows up and you know he's good for it. So you show up and, and so he draws a line in the sand and he says, I want you to do a long jump. And here's the deal, whoever can jump across from this line and long jump out toward the, the water, but if, if you can make it to Hawaii, I will write a check for $2 billion. And you're like, okay, wow, what a challenge. So Pastor Brett gets up there. 
and I stretch out uh, and uh, <laughs> I get and t -t -t <laughs> wow, four feet, long jump. Well done, Pastor Brett, but didn't quite make it to Maui. So then we need someone who's in better shape. So we get my son, Joey, who's very athletic and he gets out there and runs and t -t 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 wow, 26 feet <laughs> long jump, which would be great. Um, but even there, as it turns out, Joey didn't quite uh, make the, the jump to Maui. So he didn't get the two, two billion. So then suddenly this guy shows up named Mike Powell, wearing his Olympic shorts and, you know, tank top and his tennies from the Olympics, where he set the world record in the long jump, 29 feet, four inches. And <clears throat> he gets out there and we're, we're thinking, oh, this is great. The best in the whole world is gonna make this jump. Da -da 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 -da. And we just are marveling how far he goes. And he even makes it to the water's edge and a little splash when he, when he hits. But he still doesn't make it to Maui. Why? Because with us, it's impossible. With people, with humanity, no one would get the two bill, we'd all fail. But see, that's salvation. For you to be saved of your sins, it's impossible, you can't do it. That's where it's so goofy when people say, I can save myself, I don't need Jesus Christ. <laughs> you don't need Jesus Christ? That's the only way a person can be saved. There's no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. So if you wanna make the jump to heaven, if you would, you gotta have Jesus who will help you get there. And I use the word help lightly, but that's what it is. He helps us. He's our ever-present help in time of need. And of all the needs we have, we need to be saved from our sins. I hope you allow the Lord to help you to, to salvation because that's, that's the biggest, most important thing you'll ever think about or do in life. You see, you're a sinner. The Bible says all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous, not even one. But it says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the grave, and you accept that work that he did, then he says, I will get you to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father, which is in heaven, but by me. So the help that we need, it's a divine partnership. Well, Brett, if, if he's doing it all and you're doing nothing, um, what kind of par partnership is that? That's just God doing it all. Well, as it turns out, even though he does all, all the hard work, you still have something you gotta do. <clears throat> it is a partnership because I mentioned if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. You see, it's by faith we're saved through, you know, by grace we're saved through faith. So what's required of you is to simply accept and receive the gift of that salvation. So it is a partnership. You are required to do something. And um, you gotta believe and you gotta confess and accept the work of the cross. And then that team, there's an old say, saying um, that's true, without him, we can't. But without us, he won't. The Lord requires us to, to walk in faith and say, we're gonna believe that Jesus Christ saves us. And by the way, it's not just this partnership for salvation. The divine partnership comes um, for in, in all kinds of things in life, helping you with life and goals and family and relationships and careers. The Lord wants to help you. And it's there for the asking. And this word of comfort from Isaiah, he says, man, I will help you. Don't be afraid. Well, there's one more um, that I think is gonna be important for us before we pack it up. And that is number, number four on our list, divine protection. Um, and this is where he says something, again, using a little bit of a, a language that might be unfamiliar, where he says, I will uphold thee. He says that right here. Um, I will strengthen thee, yea, I'll help thee, yea, I will uphold thee. Now, how does he do that? He says, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Now this is one of those sentences a lot of times we as Christians kind of blow off because it sounds holy and important, but we don't really think about what does it mean? I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. It sounds like a theater thing. You're like, yeah, whatever. But what does all this mean? Well, first of all, the right hand is the, uh, in the Bible speaking of the hand of authority and strength and the right hand of righteousness. And whose righteousness? He's saying, I'm gonna uphold you. We'll talk about that in a second but I will uphold you with my right hand of my righteousness. It's God's righteousness that upholds you in his strength. 
Um, and that's why we don't have to be afraid because of divine protection. He'll uphold you with, see, if his was the right hand of unrighteousness, like everyone else in the cosmos, um, we'd be toast because he couldn't hold on if he was unrighteous. But the idea of his right hand of strength, power, of righteousness, meaning there's nothing lacking in him. He's completely right. Righteousness means rightness. And, and you know, without any lack for uh, anything. It's got everything he needs. And he says that hand of right power, authority, righteousness, it's the very hand that will uphold you, hold you up. The word uphold, if you mark in your Bible or write in your notes, the word uphold is an interesting uh, Hebrew word. The, the word is tamach. And tamach in the Hebrew means to grasp, to lay hold of, to hold fast, and to support. It's like the Lord wants to take a hold of you and support you in life and take hold of your life and keep you safe in the palm of his hand. It reminds me of John chapter 10, verse 29, where Jesus in talking about the good shepherd, the great shepherd, um, he says, no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. Don't you love that? Um, the Lord won't let you go. He, he's got you. Um, have you ever had a situation where somebody was hanging on to you and it was, it was like important that they kept hanging on to you or so you would have been in real trouble? Um, that's, that's the Lord. He says, I'm gonna, I've got you and I will not let go. I'm gonna hold you with my, see an unrighteous hand might say, <laughs> let you go. Remember the movies um, where there's the person hanging from the cliff and there's the person grasping in their sweaty hand, you know, and they're dangling over, you know, thousands of feet. Um, uh, and uh, the question is, will they let you go? Well, the unrighteous hand might, might let you go. <laughs> There's those movies where the bad guy's hanging and the good guy's like, should I let go or should I rescue this person? But you can understand that the Lord probably should let go because we're unrighteous, sinful people going, come on, help us. And the Lord's got you in his hand, but he, praise be to God, he's the righteous right hand of the Lord. There's a righteousness in him and he loves you so much. He says, don't worry, I will uphold thee, uphold, lay hold of, hold fast and support. And no one can pluck me out, pluck you out of his hand. Divine protection. Corey, um, Corey Ten Boom, who was made some real notable statements, that woman who survived the concentration camps of the Nazis and just an amazing Christian. She said, when Jesus takes your hand, he keeps you tight. When Jesus keeps you tight, he leads you through your whole life. When Jesus leads you through your life, he brings you back home. Um, I love the, just the, the calmness of her, because knowing what she went through, knowing that she was holding on to Jesus through those dark times, but her, her word that he'll get you through it and he'll, he'll bring you back, slide you home. That's, that's what she said. Well, all that to say, the, the right hand of righteousness has got you and he will not let you go. Um, I love the assurance that we have there, the assurance, because you know you might think, well, I'm a, but what if I sin? You already did, you already have, and you already will. Um, but the Lord says, I'm not gonna, gonna let you go. Do you understand the assurance of our salvation because of the, the divine protection the Lord promises. He says, I'm not gonna, I'll uphold you with my righteousness. He's not gonna uphold you with your righteousness. If your righteousness were to uphold you, man, you're on shaky ground. Um, I love the assurance that we have. Again, Charles Haddon's Spurgeon, the reason I quote him is because I read him a lot and he's one of my favorite preachers of old. But he actually talked about um, uh, this idea of the assurance and confidence we can have in his protection and, and salvation. Um, and now he was a big guy. He was like, you know, 300 pound guy, <laughs> pastor. And uh, listen to what he said when, he, when it comes to assurance. He said, um, I am so sure of God's ability to save me that I could grab on a cornstalk and swing out over the fires of hell, looking down into the face of the devil and sing, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. <laughs> Picture that, big 300 pound guy swinging on a cornstalk over hell, looking at Satan say, singing, <laughs> I mean, the picture there is, is perfect. Like, you gotta love Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Well, all that to say, here the book of Isaiah gives us this beautiful word of encouragement and comfort. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee 
with the right hand of my righteousness. Amen to that. Would you bow your heads please with me? Lord, I pray that you would bring great confidence and comfort to the congregation today. Lord, that we'd put our trust in you. Lord, that we wouldn't be easily moved by what's going on around us. Lord, I pray that we'd know that you're the one who will never let us go. I pray, Lord, that as we go through these difficult times, even here locally in Portland with the rioting and the trouble, um, I pray that, Lord, you would use this trouble so that people might put their trust in you and lean on you. You tell us, Lord, to trust in you and lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge you, Lord. This verse that we read today reminds us why we should just continue to look to you because you're the, the one who will hang on. You're the one who gives us strength and help in times of need. Lord, you're all that we need. Help us to realize that you really are all that we need. Lord, if there be anyone who's watching this service today um, who is yet to accept and believe, I pray that they would soften their heart toward you. Lord, for whatever reason, people harden themselves and, um, and have preconceived ideas and have been offended by a Christian or silly things that keep people from you. I pray that their need for salvation, forgiveness of sin would be stirred up in their hearts even right now. And that Lord, you would save them from their sins, that they would be a Christian headed for heaven, saved by your grace through faith. Lord, you did all the hard work. You did all the, the stuff. And, and for you to say that you help us, Lord, is so, it's almost laughable, but we acknowledge that you do require from us to believe for by, we're saved by grace through faith. And if that's you, just keep it an attitude of prayer and Christians, would you be in prayer? I wonder if you need to accept Christ today. If that's you and you're saying, man, I've never really accepted Jesus. I don't know if I'm a Christian. You can know. And like Spurgeon swinging over hell with a cornstalk singing blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Um, you could be that confident, not because of anything you do or deserve. You could have that confidence um, because of what he did and the promises he's made. That if you confess with your mouth, and believe in your heart the Lord Jesus, God says he will save you. Um, that's what you do. It's that simple. Just pray this prayer like this. You say, Lord, I, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, rose up from the grave, and that I'm forgiven. And then just ask the Lord, Lord, help me. Help me to walk with you and thank the Lord for saving you. And that true confession. If it's, it's not, you don't want to just mouth the words, but you got to confess real faith and say, I believe this. Then the Bible says you are saved. Man, don't miss this opportunity. Just accept Jesus right now, wherever you are and be saved. That's what it's all about. Well, good stuff. Lord, I do pray for those who've just confessed you. Lord, I pray that you'd wrap your loving arms around them, that they'd sense that stability and the, the surety of salvation. Lord, may you bless them. Bless this congregation, Lord, today we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.